It's the toughest, most important job in the world. Four kids. If you want to know what it's like to have a fourth, just imagine you're drowning. And then someone hands you a baby. This is The Mom Show. It's where moms come to learn and share. Our host is Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome on into the Mom Show. Thank you for joining us today. I am Lindsay Ertz. Uh, this week, a Weber State professor released some research on this term called gender washing and how they've found some initial study that shows that companies may be appearing to be gender diverse, that is having policies that benefit both men and women equally, but yet aren't really being that way on the surface. So we're going to dive into this whole topic in this segment with Dr. Wendy Foxkirk. She's the assistant professor at the School of Business and Economics at Weber State University. Doctor, thank you so much for joining me today. First of all, just start by telling us what is gender washing? Yes, I can. So the term was originally coined by Dr. Martha Burke, who's a gender pay equity expert and professor And she coined it in 2011 um, to illustrate how organizations promote all the wonderful stuff they do for women, or they talk about how brilliant it is here uh, in terms of diversity and inclusion, Um, and how the difference between that and how organizations actually behave. What's it really like for women? And so she took that from concept people will be familiar with, I hope, which is greenwashing, where organizations say, we're doing all these wonderful things for the environment and the planet, whilst at the same time doing things that are damaging for the planet. Um, And so this concept, my my colleagues and I, the co-authors of of my paper, um, we were really interested in the difference between how organizations talk about uh, gender equity inequity generally and the everyday experiences that that we were hearing from women on business forums research forums you know if you're a woman out there you know what I'm talking about where you hey no we have not reached gender equity yet um so why do we think we have and that's what prompted it uh, I went to look so the, as a researcher what we wanted to do was research it but when we looked for a standard definition of gender washing, there wasn't one. So we decided, right, how do we look at the extent to which, which this is happening in organisations? Um, how do we investigate uh, the anecdotal stuff that we hear, turn it into proper research? And it starts with a robust definition. So the ad definition of gender washing goes a little bit deeper than Martha Burke's and highlights um, the contradiction between rhetoric. So that is, what does the organisation say? What kinds of things are they saying about what they do around equity, gender equity in particular, um, and what and what actually happens to people in organisations? So it's about the gap between those things. And we focused on looking at policies, procedures, and how different practices and organizations are used. So what I'm hearing you say is we're kind of being gaslit. Yeah, 
yes, that's a great way to describe it. Yes, <laughs> right? I love that. Like, yeah, they were telling us there's no problem, but we know there's yeah. a problem. <laughs> yes, okay. absolutely. That's interesting. Okay, so what did your research find? Are we being gender washed? So our research looked at documents, and in particular, at documents. Um, called non-disclosure agreements. And we looked at how those non-disclosure agreements were being used in organizations to silence women. Um, And so you'll be familiar with the the big cases, Larry Nasser, Epstein, those cases where continued persistent sexual harassment and sometimes sexual violence continued over many years in organizations that were purporting to be great for women, fair for women. And what was happening was organizational processes were being used to silence those women. So a non-disclosure agreement originally was designed to manage intellectual property. So if you work at a market research company and you know lots of the secrets, you sign the non-disclosure agreement to say you won't disclose their secrets when you go to work for another company in the same field. Here they were being used to silence women who was proved later had been sexually abused or harassed um, and were trying to tell everyone. And so the perpetrators for years got away with it and the women were the ones that were seen as the troublemakers. And so the way we, you can see gender washing happening here because the women are being silenced and the reputation of the organisation is what predominates. I think that's what's going on. We think that's what's going on. The organisations and the leaders of organisations are overly concerned with reputation management. That's what's at the heart of it. You looked at these non-disclosure agreements and found this sort of imbalance between, you know, how women are being silenced with these non-disclosure agreements. Is it fair to say that companies are doing this and gender washing women if they don't even have any non-disclosure agreements? I mean, I guess another way to ask this is how do we take this data and what does it mean in general? Yeah, that's a great question. So we we chose the non-disclosure agreements in particular because it was easy material to get at. This is a hard thing to research, but What we do know is we can look at uh, uh, hiring policies. We can look at uh, promotion policies in organisations. We can even look at uh, equity, diversity and inclusion policies and um, actually interrogate them and see, are they smoothing things over? Are they making it look like we're doing good work? Or are they genuinely uncovering um, um, inequity and unfairness? And... um, Obviously, some organisations will be doing that, but we're suggesting that this needs to be researched more deeply because we think a lot of organisations are going for the easy route. Let's uh, let's look like we're doing things. So I'll give you an example. Um, uh, EY, Ernst & Young, giant accounting firm in 2019, um, won awards for being um, a great place to work Uh, in terms of equity, diversity and inclusion. And in that same year, the media exposed their women's leadership training program. So they're trying to do, it looks like they're trying to do a women's leadership training program, aren't they nice? 
Um, but they exposed the actual training that was going on was reinforcing gender stereotypes, explaining to the women how to be nice around the men, how to not challenge the men, how to be what I call proper or respectable women, you know, rather than uh, advancing themselves, demonstrating their skills, learning how to negotiate for pay uh, that equals men's pay. None of that was going on. So drill down to the me, uh, sort of the parameters you looked at, and how is this impacting Utah? Okay, yeah, so again, we don't know how it's impacting Utah in terms of rigorous research. That's what needs to be done. That's what we're calling for in this paper. Um, and as I said before, you start with a really good definition, and then we've given some pointers about how this can be done, what you can do as organizations. Um, anecdotally, I can just tell you anecdotally in Utah, you guessed from my accent, I'm not from here. So when I came here, Obviously, the first thing I wanted to do, I work in a business school. I wanted to get to know the local business, the local women in business. My specialism is women in leadership. And um, and I attended, uh, you know, a number of different seminars and forums. And what I can say is, sadly, the, the discourse, the major discussion about how women manage themselves was focused on individuals, how you as an individual can work harder, get up earlier in the morning, be prettier, be thinner, um, make sure you go on all the trainings, make sure you have all the skills. And, and what we do know is the research demonstrates that women often in organisations have more education and more skills, but they're still overlooked for promotion. So I call this the fix the women approach. And that's, the, that's what I hear all the time in Utah everywhere. Fix the women, mend your confidence. It's all about your confidence. You haven't fixed your confidence, you know. Um, work your networks, get up at four in the morning. I mean, so there's a perfection. You've got to be perfect. If the playing field is, is skewed and the men's side on a game of soccer and the men's side is up in the air, then they just have to kick the ball downhill to get into the goal. The women have to be stronger, and they're still going uphill. It's, we need to level the playing field, which is why we use that term. Level the, it doesn't matter how strong my muscles are, I'm still kicking uphill. There's a disadvantage. And I got to tell you, Dr. Wendy Foxkirk with Weber State University, that is how it feels. You know, I've had two babies and I've lost two jobs right around the time I've had both babies. And it was within both companies' legal right to let me go the way they did. And one of the jobs, I'm a 1099 employee, so they can absolutely fire me at any time. But they told me they wanted consistency while I was on maternity leave. And I literally cannot do the work for you while I'm on maternity leave. But that's just how it shows up where nothing they did was legally wrong. But you can't tell me that that's fair. Absolutely. That's how they get away with it. And the other thing we can look at um, is that where, what do they do in other countries? And so often this notion that somehow, yes, physically, the woman has to give birth to the baby, that the notion that somehow it's natural for the woman to be the one to take on the greater burden of childcare. Um, it, it's a social construct. We don't, we don't have to. I'm not saying we don't want to. Some women do, some women don't, some men do. 
Um, but if we look at countries like Sweden, Norway and Denmark, their legislation, their policies, their childcare, even in France, you get free uh, childcare as soon as the baby's born so you can go back to work. So there are things we can do as, as organizations and societies that improve the situation. As individual women, there's not a lot we can do other than leave organizations that treat you badly, tell organ- people about organizations that treat you well. Okay, so so this research is, it's a peer-reviewed paper, but basically it's just saying, hey, we've done some initial research on this, and this is yeah. what we found. We need to look into this more. Absolutely. That's, it's a call to action. We're, we're asking researchers to take Martha Burke's concept as we've defined it and get into organizations and see how big is this. Um, and you know, we start with the how much, how much is it going on? And if it, if it's the, if the anecdotal evidence such as hashtag me too, and the other online forums that women are in, if, if that is what's going on in organizations, really, then we need to do something about it. Dr. Wendy Foxkirk with Weber State University. What is your final thought that you want women to know as they're out there working with different organizations? I'd just like to stress, uh, the importance of creating different ways of thinking about ourselves and thinking about gender, um, both men and women. We've been socialised and conditioned into thinking that there are classic ways of being female and classic ways of being male. And if we, especially in Utah, this is a very Utah-heavy thing, if you move away from those ways of being feminine or masculine, then you get punished. It takes a considerable amount of bravery to step outside of those in Utah. Um, And often, I think what's happening in organisations is we're often self-silencing. So you think you're the only one going through it. I'm the only one going through it. And also what I've heard is women blaming themselves. So please, my call to women, don't blame yourselves. Talk about it with other women. Um, It's time to create a new normal. And, it, and that's one thing that we can do. Dr. Wendy Fox-Kirk, she is a professor at Weber State University in the School of Business and Economics at Weber State. They've got some new research on this term called gender washing, and they're wanting researchers to look into it more because they say it's a thing. Doctor, thank you so much for joining me on The Mom Show. You joined The Mom Show. Being a mom can be tough sometimes. We try to make it easier. Here's Lindsay Ertz on KSL News Radio. Welcome back into the Mom Show. Thank you for joining us today. I am Lindsay Arts. Want to thank so much my guest, Dr. Wendy Foxkirk. She's with Weber State University um, and their School of Business and Economics. If you didn't hear our last conversation, we talked about this concept of gender washing and how basically she has research that has found that there are some companies who profess to be gender diverse, but in their policy and in uh, some of the metrics which could prove that they are gender diverse, they're not really meeting those expectations. And so it's dubbed this concept of gender washing. And Dr. Foxkirk's uh, research is suggesting that more research be done to find out how widespread of a problem this is. Now, most women can tell you that they've experienced this in one way or another, some for some form of the way it feels like we have cement blocks on our feet that we're not quite able to level that playing field 
in different areas. Um, but it's nice to have science back and, and research back up. But it's nice to have research back up what we all know to be true. So I'd invite you to podcast this episode wherever you podcast and go back and listen to my chat with Dr. Wendy Foxkirk from Weber State University. And while you're there, you might as well listen to last week's episode as well. I was able to chat with Utah's First Lady, Abby Cox, uh, about her experience with postpartum issues after her third baby and I was so impressed by her vulnerability and her honesty when it came to how her depression felt for her and how she didn't realize what she was experiencing and how Governor Cox was supportive to her in that regard and subsequently the two of them in concert and he as the governor has declared February last month, Maternal Mental Health Awareness Month in Utah. So next February, we'll celebrate it again and bring awareness to it again. Um, the state legislature has also given a lot of funding to maternal mental health programs in the state of Utah this year, which is a really great thing. It means the Utah Department of Health can continue its maternal mental health department with their maternal mental health specialist who does fantastic work on Instagram and social media, getting the word out and just really changing the message for moms in Utah. I think this is so important. And this is something that uh, Mrs. Cox, Abby Cox talked about last week on our episode, just about how we have to share the real conversations of motherhood. It does none of us any favors to sugarcoat what real motherhood looks like and it can contribute to those postpartum issues that many women in fact we know that 43 percent of women in utah or people who have had babies in utah have experienced in one form of another that's according to new research from the utah department of health so it is so important that we share these conversations i would invite you to wherever you podcast go check out the ksl mom show again or you can download the ksl news radio app and all my past episodes are there including the one with abby cox i have several episodes on postpartum issues because that is something that i experienced after the birth of my first baby and um, I share a lot about what that experience was like for me and that it, it didn't really match the quote-unquote definition that you hear and that's what I hear as an experience from so many moms is that you you've heard of postpartum depression but you don't feel depressed you feel anxious or you feel rageful or you feel scared you know you you don't just you're not just sitting around in sweatpants all day although sweatpants are very nice <laughs> you're functioning but you're severely anxious and so um, it's really important that we broaden the definition and in fact I I try to do that in my language by not just referring to it as postpartum depression but referring to it as a postpartum mood disorder because there are so many different types of postpartum issues that you can experience. It's not just depression. And I think it does a disservice to women who might be experiencing symptoms other than depression to 
um, not have them know that that's a thing <laughs> that they're experiencing. That was my experience where someone had just told me that that was a thing, that I could be having these intrusive thoughts, that I could be uh, feeling this way. It could have saved me from a lot of suffering. So something I, a message I'm trying to share with others, uh, again, I'd invite you to go podcast whichever mom show episode suits your fancy uh, by downloading the KSL News Radio app or searching for the KSL Mom Show wherever you podcast. Thank you for joining us this week on the Mom Show. We'll be back next week.